so stupid he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Guaranteed to be less of a disappointment than Steph Curry in Game 7, welcome to Motorsport 101. Everybody, welcome to episode 45 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I'm a friendly neighborhood host, Andre Harrison, and this is kind of a throwback style episode of Motorsport 101 this time around because this time around, there's only two of us. Isn't that right, Mr. King? Yes, it's just like the good old days only me, you, and a microphone. Me, you, a microphone, and numerous audio pops. Yes. Uh, <laughs> our very 2014 up in here. But uh, yeah, Johnson is fortunately not with us for a second week in a row. He'll be back eventually. I'm sure you're dying to hear his NASCAR hot takes and various references regarding Chase Elliott. Um, he'll be sorely missed. But in the meantime, you're stuck with a pair of us. And uh, King, we got we got to get this out there before we really start. I mean, Game 7 was incredible last night, wasn't it? <laughs> Uh, it, it, incredible if you like um, Cleveland and not being in Detroit <laughs> at least we're not Detroit right at least we're not <laughs> Detroit not anymore we got, Cle, Cle, Cleveland can say they're now officially better than Detroit that, 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 that's got to be a plus <laughs> shout out to Reggie Jackson and uh, Ben Wallace and all those bullying era of the Pistons uh, to all of them because this, this, this one's for you guys but uh Shout out to Steph Curry for being the MVP and being a thorough disappointment this entire series. And shout out to Draymond Green for, for you know, actually being the actual warrior worth giving a damn about. We love Draymond Green on here. But uh, despite all that, we've got an absolutely loaded episode of the podcast for you this time around. We'll be talking about the Le Mans 24-hour race and all the drama that resounded the uh, incredible finish which i'm sure you've already heard about by now we'll be, we'll be talking all about that we'll be talking about audi's problems toyota's problems lmp2 and mana crap in the bed essentially we'll be talking about will stevens we'll be talking about ford being completely overpowered we'll be talking about townsend bell we'll be talking about drs in lmp1 <gasps> it's gonna be terrible or maybe not we'll have to wait and see We'll also be talking about Baku and um, a surprisingly high amount of stuff to talk about despite the fact it was a Grand Prix that everybody thought was terrible. Don't get me wrong, they're right to think that. <laughs> but at the same time, there was actually a fair <laughs> few intriguing points to go with that alongside the GP2 races, the circuit in general, Nico Rosberg solving the conundrum of Mercedes' apparent engine modes, the, the, the curious weekend of Sergio Perez, Red Bull's poor weekend and Baku's future as a Grand Prix circuit in general. We'll also be talking about more to do with Top Gear and Valentino Rossi the game came out this week. So I'll be talking a little bit about that for those guys that may be interested in the game. And some F1 2016 news given they made their A3, their A3, oh, wrong vowel, E3 appearance this, this past week. So we'll be talking all about that and inevitably probably a whole lot more on this episode of Motorsport 101 and King... Let's start with Le Mans and uh, the heartbreak heard around the world, especially if you're a fan of Toyota. <sighs> oh, God, they were a lap away from winning the 24 hours of Le Mans and it all went wrong. Toyota, that, I think it was the number five Toyota, I think it was in question. 
that had led, I think, dominated, I think, a good 12, 13 hours of the race they were in the lead for. Through the night, they were in the lead. They had done 383 laps. Um, there was two to go. There was about, I think, something like five minutes to go in the race. It was all looking like Toyota were going to steal an improbable victory here after. We all know Toyota struggled in, in, in um, LMP1 for the last couple of years. They've not really recovered from winning the uh, actual championship itself a couple of years ago. But uh, they, they had it in the bag. But then Nakajima reports the car can't accelerate down the Mulsan. And uh, it's all gone belly up. And um, I didn't watch this race live. I, I was at work at the time, but I saw the finish when I got in from work. And King, I was just, I was in, I was in complete and utter shock. Like, I was in shock because uh, with, I think, about 20 minutes to go, I switched over to F1 coverage because it seemed like Toyota had it. Like, you think 20 minutes to go in, you know, a 24-hour race, you mm -hmm. think it's pretty much done and settled. But then next thing I know, I hear, like, murmurs that, you know, Toyota has problems. They lost the lead, and I'm just in complete shock that you know, they could lose it like that. They lost it. The number two Porsche comes through on the penultimate lap to take the lead. It goes on to complete the final lap and win the Le Mans 24 hours. And uh, it was kind of, it, it was a really kind of awkward kind of celebration in the Porsche cap because I think everybody knew deep down that they were gifted that one. Like, it was the ultimate motorsporting gift from the gods that had given Porsche this win and um, you could see just the devastation in, in the Toyota garage they were so devastated and you can't blame them this is like the most gut-wrenching finish arguably in motorsport history <laughs> it's, it's, it's up there <laughs> It's up there. It's up there with J.R. Hildebrand in the wall in the last corner oh. of the Indianapolis 500. It's up there. Oh, that was bad. I wasn't even in the car fan when I watched that. And I thought, oh, God. No, Hildebrand, no! <laughs> <laughs> and then I very quickly forgot. Cause I was like, oh, Dan Weldon's won. Yay! <laughs> But, but there wasn't there wasn't the yay moment afterwards. It's Porsche wins again, lol. Yeah, like Porsche wins, lol. Because we all know Porsche have been ridiculously strong in this era of of the hybrids and whatnot. Porsche has been incredible, and um, you know what they say: the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I think this was a classic example of that. Porsche were, were always like again. In the context of a 384-lap, 24-hour race, Porsche was never really more than maybe half a minute behind, which was just, again, incredible. And in the context that they were so close for almost the entire duration of the race, um, but they just didn't have the legs to beat Toyota to the finish, or so we thought. And um, we've seen the tweets. I mean, Toyota's hybrid team just put a tweet of one word where it said, heartbroken. And I think it's been retweeted about 11,000 times on Twitter since. And Porsche, uh. Porsche were in, yeah, as a, you, can, you can see, uh, the, we, got, we, got the, we got the feds outside King's house as we record yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the Porsche police are here to take me away. <laughs> How dare you endorse Toyota. But uh, 
Porsche did themselves on Twitter. They were, they were very gracious in, in victory. They said they, they've earned our respect forever, which is very kind. And it's, it's an improvement on last year when they beat Audi. And it was just like, wait, wait, you guys are owned by the same people. You can't really pat each other on the back. You know that, right? It looked, <laughs> it, it's, it's a bit weird. <laughs> it's, like, it's like we we have a phrase for that on the internet. <laughs> and what phrase is that, King? Circle jerk. <laughs> I just want you to say it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that very and that's how it, I know. Obviously, it, it's separate divisions, and I know obviously Doctor Ulrich is a very classy man, and we've well when he's not barging his DTM guys out of, off the road and whatnot. But um, <laughs> we've all seen it. Like you know, Ulrich was uh, you know like I had a drinking game where every time he saw Doctor Ulrich on the hard camera, you take a drink. Um, if anyone's played that, um, I will attend your funeral. I I, I, I only apologise. I didn't know it was going to be that bad. <laughs> but um, it was kind of weird last year. This year it was just it was just more like well, like I I I, I came in from work about eleven p.m. that night, right? And I checked my Twitter. So I go, what's going on? Everybody has has a hang in, and like everybody just felt deflated after that race. It was really weird. Like normally, you all be like like embracing, you know, the spirit of Le Mans, and you know, it, obviously the prestige of the race. There's obviously like when it comes to Le Mans every year, there's almost always several different stories up and down the grid that you know captivate you. Like I remember the first time I watched Le Mans properly, it was more like Jan. It was like Jan Martinborough was one of the heroes because he was. I think he was second in class that year, and um, you know Patrick Dempsey finally getting a podium, for example, little things like that. This year it was like King. Everybody was just so deflated. Like it was, like it, it was just sad. It was such a like it was almost like a bitter ending for what was otherwise a really great Le Mans. What the sounds of it? Yeah, I mean, even throughout the race, there were like just just weird things where. Because because of Audi's problems and the privateer LMP ones dropping out like flies, like it, it seemed like an LMP two could finish on the overall podium, which was like weird. And because of Audi's issues, Audi's issues were apparent. Their their turbos had them backing into the garage multiple times during the race, and Audi desperately trying anything had you know their drivers over the radio, over, like, the publicly televised radio questioning Lena Gade's uh, strategy calls. Yeah, Audi seemed to be a real dumpster fire this time around in terms of just, all, like, normally we often praise the, like during the, like, during the 2000s and early 2010s, we often praised Audi for being this, this almost unbeatable fortress of a team, so organized, so well-managed, so slick, you know, you, you we had guys like Christensen, we had Lotsero, we had all those guys in there that were doing incredible jobs. And this time around, it was just like organized chaos in the Audi carriages <laughs> constantly because their cars just weren't seeming to be working, King. No, it seems like with this new, with the new, you know, R18, things just didn't work out when stretched out to a 24-hour period. No, it just didn't, just didn't work out. I mean, they've, they've been well, they've done well in the six-hour round so far, obviously. But um, over 24, not so much. And it's even weirder with Toyota's case, King, that not like not only did they not finish that lap on the penultimate lap, but because they broke down on the final lap, it gets worse, King. 
Oh, yeah, because they broke down on the final lap, uh, the ACO has a rule where if you don't finish your last lap in under six minutes, you're not classified as a finisher. That that is that is like taking a wound, prying it open with your fingers and pouring an entire salt shaker inside. Of it. That's <laughs> that, 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 that's awful. Not only have you been told, oh, by the way, you may have not won, but hey, at least you finished second, right? No, you're not classified. In other words, you were taken out of the results. Like it's one, yeah. it's, it's one thing to get a DNF where, you know, a DNF is. You know, obviously bad, but Le Mans, given the, given its nature, you kind of expect DNF, so you know it, it happens. But to have a to have you officially listed as a no as an NC not classified, that's got to be so painful for Toyota. Yeah, it it it's just so painful. Like uh, back to the you know J.R. Hildebrand comparison, like at least J.R. Hildebrand finished second. <laughs> It was a broken car, but the broken car still crossed the finish line in second <laughs> yes. place. So, you know, Hildebrand, at least he can say, hey, I finished second, I suppose, right? That, that counts for something. Um, yeah. in, in Toyota's case, no. They, they were removed from the results and they ended up finishing dead last as a result behind a team that was literally 100 laps down. That's, that, that's just, ugh, that's painful, but... Yeah, and the, like the the Audi team that was like in relative terms to what Audi normally is, Audi was a dumpster fire that day. They ended up getting a podium. Yep. So the the I think it was the number I want to say the number the, the it was the Lucas Degrassi team, wasn't it? It was the, it was the Degrassi yeah. car that finished on the podium as a consolation prize for Audi being relatively crap given their normal ridiculous standards. Um, but if there is one very small positive to draw from this king given the rumor that was do- going around i think it was on crash.net that saying that toyota may have rolled this new car out a year ahead of schedule oh it wasn't may they did they did they did yeah, in other words they rolled they rolled this was this toyota was meant to be their 2017 car so this 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 car is literally a year ahead of plan this was a pretty good test, right? <laughs> yeah, besides like the last two laps, everything worked perfectly. <laughs> you, you sound like the world's most optimistic crew chief. You like the opposite Roger Penske right now. It's like, hey, it was great until the last two laps, you guys. <laughs> yep. yep. Why, why aren't you all happy? <laughs> oh, it's dear. like, because they won't be at it again. Like... I know it was brought up multiple times during the broadcast where it's like, the championship really doesn't matter. It's about winning Le Mans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've said, said it before. Like, Sebastian Buemi was one half of the world championship team from 2014, and it no one cared. Like, like... <laughs> Like, like, it must be the least credible world championship in motorsport because everybody knows that in a similar case to IndyCar, like, you'd rather win the 500 than win the actual IndyCar series. I mean, Scott Dixon said it himself last year. I trade in my three series titles for three Indy 500 wins every time. And when we talk about guys like Helio Castroneves, he's never won the IndyCar series title, but he's a three-time 500 winner. And I think we all point to Helio as a legend of the sport for that very reason. That, you know, yeah, like he, he's one Indy 500 away from like literal immortality. Yeah, he's in that 
ridiculous four wins club, which basically would mark Helio down as one, of, as one of, if not the greatest indie car driver we've ever seen. You know, up there with the very, very best. Um, without winning a championship. Without winning an actual <laughs> championship, which is just the most hilarious thing to consider. But yeah, the WEC is very much similar in that sense, where, you know, Porsche won the championship last year, but nobody really cared outside of the fact that the finish at Bahrain was absolutely ridiculous in terms of, you know, mechanical retirements and whatnot, where even I, who knew, uh, me, I never watch endurance races. I watched I watched the six hours of Bahrain. Um, <laughs> just, just, just for shiggles. And just to, just to see that, that, Porsche, I think it was the uh, it was the it was the seventeen. I want to say it was the the, the seventeen Porsche literally limp over the line. So uh, that was just uh, kind of kind of crazy to comprehend. Um, oh, I think King may have gone missing. <laughs> right, no, that- no, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> We're totally organized on this show as ever. But um, it's, it's that kind of nature, right? Where you just, you know, you want to win Le Mans way more than you want to win the actual championships. That's that, so, you know, my heart goes out to the Toyota team. Anthony Davidson's a real good guy. Um, Boemi is a great driver, and he's in his own series finale next weekend at, at London for the Formula E Season 2 finale, so that's going to be fun. But, but uh, devastating for the Toyota team. Congratulations to Porsche on your hollow, hollow victory. <laughs> 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 you know, don't, don't party too hard with that big trophy, which you know you didn't really deserve. But uh, you know, that's that that's motorsport for you. A couple of other little stories that was dotted throughout the Grid King, and um, let's talk LMP2, and uh, let's just look around to make sure that you know Sarah and Elizabeth aren't listening to us, right? So we, we can talk about manner and you know, not in a not so positive light. Is, is, is that okay, King? Oh. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's, I, I think we're safe. Good. Mana was shit. Now, the, <laughs> um, way, way to just slide in there, like, nice and slow. Is that what you tell all your girls, King? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you walked right into that. It was glorious. Um, but, I mean, let, let, let's cut to the chase here. Mana completely shit the bed. And, um... I, I remember Graham Loudon being interviewed towards the end of the race. I think it was about two hours to go. And he see, you know, you know what, what Graham's like. He's one of the most positive men in the world. He, he's, he's always an optimist. He's, he's a true Brit. He's, 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 you know, he's nothing describes optimism more than the British. And um, he was he, he was trying to put, you know, to stiff up a lip on it and all that. But there's no getting around it, King. That team was very disappointing. <laughs> yeah, like... Uh... A lot of people had them pegged as class winners, and it really just did not pan out. Their car uh, that had various, you know, offs. I, I think they went up like they. I don't know how they got their car, like how they got their car there, but they uh, went. They break too late for Indianapolis, and then somehow it's like, yeah, we'll we'll like put it behind the barrier and then like somehow turn it back around and then spend like a good five minutes trying to get the car back on track. Yeah, that was, I saw that in the highlights and I'm like, how on earth did they pull that one off? Like, 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 that's, <laughs> like that is impressive to get your car to that specific spot right there. That like, that's, that's very impressive. Um, there's no getting around anything. I mean, the mana team was just wasn't was just wasn't there, and you know, 
it, it's 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 hard not to admire the ambition of people like Graham Loud and John Booth and the guys in the Manor Camp, but have they bitten off more than they can chew again here? Yeah, when when you go to Le Mans, don't like your goal should be to finish your first twenty four hours, not win your class. Yeah, unless you're Ford, unless you're Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Ford's just like we're just happy to be here again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're happy to be here. We'll take our trophy just like now. Yeah. Um, we'll still we'll still do, do the race, but we'll just like our trophy now. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll take the advanced payment, please. Yeah, um, <laughs> we don't want the, the we don't want the uh, impetuity like ten year payment. We we want the trophy now. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's like when you win the lottery in America and you, you know, do you want the lifetime payment or do you want the big lump sum? Like, no, give me the lump sum. Give me the lump sum. Um, but yeah, Manor failed to finish. <laughs> Manor failed to finish, but a Manor driver didn't do too bad, eh, King? <laughs> yes, behind behind the class-winning Signatech Alpine, Alpine uh, we had uh, the G-Tech Racing LMP2. One of the drivers is Will Stevens. So <laughs> <laughs> Will the Lad Stevens, second in on his Le Mans debut. What a guy. <laughs> the internet clearly can rejoice that Will the Lad Stevens, our Essex boy who got mad that one time on the radio in Canada, has got on to great things, King. Clearly Yeah, like I was I was sweating a bit because the way Ferrari was doing and the way that uh, the SMP car which fit ended up finishing uh, third in class was doing. I was like, is SMP Racing gonna win like two classes at Le Mans? It's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that 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 would have been something else. But uh, Will Stevens, a very valiant second in class. So well done, Will. Uh, maybe we'll see you back in F1 one day. <laughs> Probably not. But uh, probably not. <laughs> uh, but uh, we, we mentioned it a minute ago, King. Let's talk about Ford. And uh, I know this pains you as a. Uh, as a big-time Corvette fanboy. Uh, yeah, it was it, like, first let's talk about Corvette, because yeah. Corvette, it was just not good. <laughs> it was not good. We had one of the Corvettes uh, during uh, during the morning after after the night period just went into the tire barriers and was, like, automatically out. Like, it was already going pretty poorly. It was... It was a question of whether, you know, they would finish, you know, sixth or seventh. Oh, man, that's 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 disappointing for a team of Chevrolet standards. Uh, yeah, like if, mm. if they had won the class this year, they would have completed their second. They would complete their second calendar triple crown because oh, yeah. 2015, they won Daytona. Mm hmm. Sebring and Le Mans, and this year they won Daytona and Sebring, and all they had to do was win Le Mans again, but you know, Ford showed up. Shout out as well to that amazing finish at Daytona one more time, because that was the, like the greatest finale to an injury I think I've ever seen <laughs> until yesterday, but um, <laughs> but I mean, let's talk about Ford, and Chevrolet, they really struggled, and part of the reason why King was that it seems that old gremlin balance of performance has reared its ugly head again. Yeah, where it seemed in the practice sessions that, you know, Ford seemed like 
pretty level with everyone else. Didn't seem too quick or didn't seem too far ahead of everyone. But then qualifying came around and then the Fords qualified one, two, four and five. Yeah, out of their four cars, they had all four of them in the top five. And all of a sudden, we're just sitting here thinking, well, how the bloody hell did that happen? And basically, you know what I feel happened? I think Chip Ganassi took a page out of the Mercedes playbook every time we go to an F1 Grand Prix weekend. It's like, oh, it's Q2. Okay, boys, crank it up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then they obliterate the field, destroy our hope, and then Mercs go on to Raw to a 1-2 finish somewhere. That seems to be the plan. And I think Chip Ganassi was clearly inspired by that. So he thought, sod it, we're going to do the same thing here. And it turned out, King, that Ford were just ridiculous during the qualifying and the Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah, where basically during the race, I think the only issues they had, I think, uh, uh, both the UK cars, both the UK running cars, which qualified, you know, fourth and fifth, ended up having a couple of, you know, nagging issues. Uh, a commentator who I won't mention by name. <laughs> Hinted at conspiracy. I won't even like even even like. Let, let, let's let's cut the bullshit. It was Jake Sanson. Yes, it was it was our beloved Jake Sanson. Oh, Jake, I like you, man. Stop doing this to me. Don't be that guy. What guy? That guy. Don't be conspiracy guy. It's not healthy. I know he's not listening to me, but it's even so. But I'm <laughs> I'm pinning my tail to the mast on this one. Carry on, King, you were saying. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, of the, like, of the three that finished, uh, the, the Ford UK car finished third, and the one Ford that failed to finish was also a UK car, but, you know, it was, I, I think it was more of the quality of driver and just, like, just randomness in general, but, you know, the GT Pro class winner was the Ford Chip Ganassi. 89 car mm -hmm. driven by Joey Hand, Dirk Mueller, and IndyCar Sebastian Bourdais. Sebastian Bourdais finally gets a Le Mans class victory. I mean, I think, I think, I think didn't he finish runner up three times when he was driving for Peugeot back in the day? Uh, I don't know if three times, but I know he finished at least second overall once. Yeah, I know Simon Pagano did in 2011 when he was in that 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 leading Peugeot team. I think it was at least once that that, that Bourdais was runner up. I mean, it's quickly run this through google while i'm talking here but yeah well you know second in gt pro was the ferrari the deadly 82 the oh, rizzi yeah. competition ferrari of giancarlo fisichella tony vylander <laughs> and matteo malucci somewhere i'm mulish so, Shelley. yep somewhere fizzy fan is a very happy man right now <laughs> god bless him but no, I, I mean, I wouldn't even be happy because any time the 82 Ferrari rolls up to an endurance race, they they are always a favorite to win. It's true. This is true. This is definitely true. But um, let's have a look here. Just just having a quick look on Google here. But um, American Le Mans series. I'm on 24 hours old. Yeah, he's been a runner-up on three separate occasions. 2000, Damn. 2007 alongside Stefan Sarazan and Pedro Lamy. Uh, 2009 alongside Sarazana Montagni. Um, shout out to him for popping some Molly. In 2011, he was a runner up with, again, Pagano and Lamy in 2011. So, uh, 
He, he was a three-time runner-up in class and obviously overall because that, that was when he was, the, was part of the Peugeot LMP1 team. But uh, his first Le Mans victory. So congratulations to Sebastian Ward. One of the real prominent, really great guys in motorsport in terms of just overall legacy. And the man's, the man's a goddamn genius when he comes to driving cars. But uh, yeah, there you go. And Ford was completely overpowered. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm a little bit gutted that Team IndyCar couldn't quite bring it home in the end. But uh, yeah, like ra- rounding out the podium in third in GT Pro was the other Ford, the 69 Ford of Ryan Briscoe, Richard Westbrook and Scott Dixon. Dixon! Yay! <laughs> Peter Perfect himself. Also, I have to say, I'm quickly turning into the world's biggest Emma Davies Dixon fan. Just, just, just. Oh, God. Like, j- just for the record. I, I, I have to get this out there. Like, she seems like amazing. <laughs> like, it, it, like, you know, you're popular when I saw a picture on a Twitter account of, like, her with a super fan, like, that had the legit, <laughs> like, pi- like, a picture of her on a t shirt. And I'm like, <laughs> those exist. They exist. Somebody <laughs> had one made. Like, I didn't know once. I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to call it admirable or creepy. Quite frankly, I'm not quite sure which. Like, I'm not. I'm not sure which side of the line it is yet. And it's. Yeah, it's like a, someone. Someone seems to be a big fan of Welsh track stars from the late '90s and early 2000s. Then me, me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> Oh, I'm such a shill. Um, but one more story I've got to mention regarding LMPs before we move on to um, the Grand Prix of Azerbaijan. Uh, or, or, sorry, technical Wait, just, just quickly mention GTM, class yeah. winner, Ferrari, Scuderia Corsa, mm-hmm. Townsend Bell, Bill, Bill Swindler, and Jeff Segal. The flat cap has redeemed himself. <laughs> <laughs> After his... Awful, awful pit lane shenanigans during the Indy 500 in a, in a race he could have very legitimately won. <laughs> He's redeemed himself with a Le Mans GTM victory. Well done, Townsend Bell. Uh, good to see you back in the commentary booth real soon. But um, yeah, it was worth mentioning as well regarding LMP1s. And everybody seemed to get a little bit heated at the WEC for this news, King, that DRS is coming to the series, but not in the way everybody thought it was going to be. Yeah, everyone assumed that DRS coming to the series would be, it would be, it would be basically DRS, like F1 DRS coming directly to the LMP1 class, which is not true at all. No, it it seems from what I've gathered, King, that it's going to be for the privateer teams to try and balance the field a little bit. Is that, is that the impression I'm getting here? Yes, yes. It's it's along with a raft of other upgrades where uh, where in 2017, they're going to be getting a bigger rear wing, mm-hmm. uh, wider body work at the front and a reduced weight limit. Plus, Ooh. there will be no limit on engine capacity Uh-oh. and no and no restriction on, on the number of teams. I mean, on a number on the number of engines that privateer teams could use in a season. So, yeah, they're really seeming to be opening the door for the privateers to catch up. They want Rebellion up there more often, clearly. So, like, is this a good thing for the series? Is the factories going to start complaining about this if it gets too good? I wonder. But, I mean, because the, the privateers are a long way back, and I feel like, you know, I don't think they're going to be under any real threat. But even so, I mean, it's, it's a bit of an eyebrow raiser, that's for sure. 
Yeah, like like those raft of changes were coming in 2017 with DRS coming in 2018. Yep. So I it seems like they're trying to attract like make sure that rebellion is com- is competitive yeah. that you know during the six hour races that bicolas can you know do something because 24 hours over 24 hours are useless they don't finish no uh, we need more people the rani up the front king clearly we all saw daytona yeah. we all saw daytona we need him up there <laughs> and with and with lmp2 basically becoming a spec series they want to move the more successful lmp2 teams to lmp1 Ah, that also makes a lot of sense, yeah. Thin the field a little bit, you still get a competitive LMP2 series, and hopefully you get a bigger, more attractive headline offering. So, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, like like the Alpines, they're so much more competitive than most of the other teams in LMP2. Maybe Manor can move up to LMP1. God help us all that day that happens. <laughs> oh, man, the the... the 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 underdog optimism in there will be frenetic to say the least, <laughs> but um, that, that should be interesting indeed. So yeah, I, I quite love, I quite like that idea. I mean, I, I would like to see you know more than the usual big two, or in this case now big three. We get an MP one up there, and if it, if it brings the privateers into play a little bit more, then I'm all for that, quite frankly. So anything to make endurance racing seem a little bit more attractive of a prospect, because I think it still gets the hipster rap in terms of the overall motorsport landscape so any opportunity for me to to, to, to have a more prominent um series out of endurance racing i am all for so good luck to them going forward now then king the grand prix of europe and um the debut of azerbaijan on the f1 calendar and uh <laughs> i don't quite know where to start on this one because this is this is loaded i mean I can't believe I'm saying this because we're actually going to talk some GP2 on this podcast, maybe for the first time in 45 episodes. We don't normally... Yes. <laughs> King's like, finally! <laughs> My moment has come. But, um, King, the GP2 races were complete carnage. <laughs> oh, like the combination... Like, you might not have been able to tell that during the F1 race on Sunday, but... No. Baku is a difficult circuit, and really, it took it took longer for some of the GP2 kids to you know come to grips with it, and some of them never got to grips with it at all. Uh, yeah, exactly. A lot of accidents, a lot of crashes. I mean, this track was a lot of things. I don't think anybody realistically was ever going to call it easy. I mean, sure, it's got a really long straight, but that doesn't necessarily mean that. The track did easy. It did seem technical. It did seem like it was going to be a lot of slow corners. We found out that corners like turn 15 were going to be much more difficult because of the next to no runoff area whatsoever and the wall right next to it that, you know, very similar reminds me of the wall of champions where you can, you can run very close, obviously for maximum speed, but at the same time, one liberty too many and off comes your wheel tethers. Um... We saw that with Daniel Ricciardo in practice. We saw it with Sergio Perez, which, which ultimately had a hampering effect on his weekend. But the GP2 race was carnage. I mean, the feature race, only 10 cars made it over the line. And GP2 is a much bigger field than Formula 1 is. So for only 10 cars and a bunch of restarts under the safety car in a GP2 feature race, King, is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, it's basically what hell in a handbasket, basically, because <laughs> it's 
It's Macau. I mean, it's Macau S. Like Baku is turning out to be just a much faster version of Macau. Yeah, I mean that's the impression I got. I mean, we saw some of the speed traps in Formula One was ridiculous. We saw Valtteri Bottas hit 230 miles an hour, which is just out of this world kind of speed. Um, so this is what we're talking about in terms of the context as a um, yeah, as, as a ridiculous race as a King's Nuts playing some gangster rap in the background. Good for him. <laughs> but um, then we got the, the sprint race, King, and uh, a, a guy, a guy that we're all, that, you know, that many were very seemingly high on in Matsuhita. Yeah, Nobuharu Matsushita. <laughs> yeah, like nobody seemed to. I don't think anybody had taken one important thing into account, King. You know what that thing was? What? He had no idea how a safety car restart worked. <laughs> oh my god. That, yes, yes. That's kind because, of a problem. <laughs> because the Honda Junior driver ended up getting a one-race ban for a series of accidents over the course of three safety car restarts where, let's see, uh... On the first instance, he was found guilty of overtaking the safety car before the safety <laughs> car line and and driving in, quote, an erratic manner, causing danger to other, other competitors. Oh, it gets better, people. He also committed a second offense at the second restart, causing that causes collisions behind him in that, you know, widely played video. Oh, yeah. We all saw it. And in the third restart, he ended up in the third restart he ended up in an accident that eventually took himself out he took himself out of the race have you seen have you seen the gif of the trident <laughs> garage and the driver's reaction <laughs> i have seen that gif it is absolutely like they're applauding him <laughs> the fact he, he took himself out of the race you know you fucked up when your competitors are cheering your demise <laughs> that is when you know you've gone to hell. Like, 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 like that is just insane that that his fellow peers had no shame in sarcastically applauding Machihita's complete failure, and um, it was almost like karma had struck him down, like something like Dark Mini in the Mini Drivers series or something. That uh, all of a sudden he was going to take himself out of the race, King, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say a completely deserved penalty. I don't, know, I don't know what he was doing. I mean, have you ever seen a story about a guy overtaking the safety car in motorsport? Like, like, like that just sounds like to me, it just sounds absolutely friggin' ridiculous. Yeah, it just sounds ridiculous. Like the one thing you needs to learn. When you go, you go. You can't just, you know, take a start and then you're like, no, no, I'm not ready to go yet. No, no, no. Guys, 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 guys I wasn't ready, man. My shoelaces are untied. <laughs> As they say on inside the NBA on TNT. No, man, false start. False start. <laughs> poor, poor Ernie. Uh, false start. False start. As, uh, as, as Shaq's already halfway down the track by the time everyone else has realized. Um, <laughs> but yeah, well, yeah. Masushita ended up being awarded a, a one-round ban where he's banned from the next round in Austria. He's, he won't be in the feature or the sprint race. So basically a two-race ban for Machiavita yeah. there for, for what had happened. And, uh, yep, King, I can't argue with this one, can you? 
Nope, not at all. Nope, I, I, normally I'm a bit more generous when it comes to these things. I watch that footage and I'm like, <laughs> no, ban him. <laughs> Swing the ban hammer. That, that, you, you can't have this. You've got, you've got to throw the book at him there, quite frankly. It's like it's like Sharapova all over again. I mean, you've got to read your emails and you've got to know how to do a safety car restart. If you can't do that, you shouldn't be racing. So you know what? I want Mashahita to go home. And I want, I want him to get a giant blackboard and I want him to write in chalk a hundred times, I will not weave under the safety car. <laughs> I will not overtake the safety car. I want him to write these lines out one at a time so he gets it right. And it's... it's I, I, I couldn't believe that. It was just absolutely ridiculous and I've never seen anything like it. But uh, talking about Formula 1 itself here, King, and uh, yay, it's been a while. You get to celebrate an Nico Rosberg win live on the air. Go, do- you can celebrate Nico Rosberg Grand Slam. Yeah, Nico Rosberg <laughs> Grand Slam, God damn it! Yeah. Uh, go on, King. Oh, <laughs> it just feels so great that Nico Rosberg dominated that Grand Prix. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, other things happened, but yeah, Rosberg wins, lol. You can't see it, but King's dabbing behind the monitor right now. He's like, yes, <laughs> yes, dab, dab. <laughs> Rosberg with a dominant win, winning him by 16 seconds over Sebastian Vettel, which, you know, I don't. as, as the Vettel fan as, as out of the two of us here, I'm sitting here thinking, hey, that's actually a really good result. And then, really, then you also realise, why didn't he get the good start off the line this time? Ah! <laughs> I don't think it would have mattered really because again Merckx was so fast under the RS anyway and, and Rosberg was just on it all weekend so for me I think it's a completely deserved brilliant performance from Nico Rosberg for me driver of the day um, completely dominant brilliant ride from, um, from from Rosberg there from start to finish Grand Slam did the lot brilliant job um, Lewis Hamilton though King um not the best weekend for him on the other side of the garage. He, he, like again, the, the cynical amongst you will say that you know Hamilton gifted Nico Rosberg this win. This time it was self-inflicted. <laughs> yeah, it was self-inflicted. Oh god! Before I just <laughs> before I get into Lewis, let me just start off with a bright note. At least Antonio Giovinazzi in GV2. First, first double. He won both the feature and sprint race. First driver to do that since um, Davide Valsecchi in 2012 at Bahrain. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a very good... That's terrible me to ignore that. But yeah, you're very much true. The first double win in quite some time. But, uh, that, that's, but yeah. that's the bright note out of the way. King, commence Hamilton bashing. <laughs> Oh, God, Lewis, what the hell was he doing? <laughs> Qualifying, he basically just wrecks himself. He basically, like, throws away any chance he has at, you know, a decent, you know, quality position. Like, it was amazing. Like, like of all the places to crash, like, it seems like the kind of thing you'd play on the video game, King, where you've just, like, driven over the apex and he's just, he just mangled the front tire. It's like something that I played in, like, 2006 again. Like, he's just got over the curb and boff. Wall hit, gone. But that seems very un-Hamilton-like for a driver of his caliber. You know, this is the guy we put on the plinth as the best supposed driver in the world. And uh, that happens, King. I mean, not good. And then you had the drama of his engine during the race itself, which was hilarious to, to keep a hold of. Yep. Again... It's like last time it was Nico Rosberg who had, you know, issues with his engine settings. But this time, 
It's Luz's turn. And in Luz's Apollo 13 moment, he has no idea what to do and gets himself killed out there. Apollo <laughs> 13. That's a great film. I, I, I used to watch it all the time on video. Uh, Kevin Bacon and... Yeah, Gary, Gary, Gary Sinise and all them. Yeah, that, that was a great film. Uh, we, we go for the manual burn. <laughs> and, then, and, and then the guy that was meant to be in there but couldn't was in, was in the mock one trying to work out a way of getting home. It's a brilliant film. I love the story. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, Hamilton had an issue where his engine wasn't, I think he, he basically he wasn't using all the hybrid power in his engine. And he he did he, he did not know how to fix the problem, and of course, being with the rules in Formula One now, the engineer can't help you, um, he, he, because again, we we wanted drivers to be more of a challenge. You know, we 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 wanted drivers to be to be pushed more. We want them to struggle more. We want them to. We don't want so much open information over the radio. Well, this is what you get. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> Who likes oh, God. this? Like, even I feel bad for losing because I don't want this to be a thing. No, I don't either. want. <laughs> I don't like it. Like, I don't. I don't like engineers not being able to tell their driver how to do the best they can at their job. I think that's silly. I think. I think it's. I think it's just. F1 trying to appease its hardcore audience, and I think it's just stupid. I mean, I, I like. I, I mean. Part of me obviously saw the humor in, ha- in Hamilton's struggles out there because it did seem funny. He said, I'm just going to push every button and see what happens. <laughs> like, like something out of a cartoon. Uh, and, and that was funny. But at the same time, I was also like, this shouldn't be a thing. This shouldn't be happening. You, you're, like, you're telling me that some of the brightest minds in engineering are in these F1 teams and they know exactly how these cars work and you can't tell your driver how to fix a problem. That's that'd be like that'd be literally like if if Apollo 13 happened again and they couldn't talk to Mission Control in Houston. Like how stupid does that sound? It's like oh no 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 no, you're you're astronauts. You've got to figure this out on your own. It's no, it, it's 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 silly. It's silly, and I, even I felt a little bit bad for Lewis on that one. But it was really funny at the same time. I can't, I can't deny it. Like him, him on the radio saying, "I can't freaking do this, man." <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna push every button and see what happens. And like the turn of Lewis, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> it, it happened with, and like. Yeah. And his quotes afterwards, because, uh, you know, the loophole in the radio band where the engineers can tell you to do something if it's in terms of safety. Ah. And Lewis, in every quote afterwards, like, it felt dangerous out there, man. I, I just don't know. It's like, <laughs> I felt like I was putting myself in danger. Right. <laughs> Lewis, we see you. <laughs> we know your game. <laughs> He's been told to say that by the team. It's a conspiracy, King. He's trying to get the radio rule lifted. <laughs> Which I would be all in favor for. Like, to be honest, like, they're like, at first it started off with these bands in, you know, ways the pit wall can't help you. In like, in the mid 2000s, in the mid 2000s or in the Ferrari era, they banned two-way telemetry mm-hmm. because it used to be the the pit wall could receive your data from the car, but they could also give you data. So the drivers didn't have to manage that much by themselves. They could focus on, you know, driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing concept, isn't it? Just drivers focusing on driving. Who knew? Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, this all stems back, I think it was to Canada last year. Where all the te- all the fans were not happy at how much info was leaked out over the radio, and 
that eventually led, I think it was to Singapore later that season where they announced that, oh, you could only give drivers certain details over the radio. And obviously the only loophole being is if it's something that directly impacts the safety of your car. Like Hamilton wasn't in danger. He was just slow. There's a difference yeah. there. And no, like Hamilton, you don't get to play that card. But what I do find hilarious about this game is that they interviewed Nicky Lauda, Toto Wolff, and Paddy Lowe after the Grand Prix on Channel 4, and none of them had any idea what the issue was because they all came out with different stories. It was hilarious. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, let's see, you got Toto Wolff, obviously, you know, executive director of the team. You have Paddy Lowe, technical director. He knows a lot about the car. You have Nicky Lauda, Grand Prix driver and pilot. He knows how to manage a vehicle. Oh, yeah. Like, like people forget that about our Nicky. But uh, yeah, they all came out with different stories. And, you know, Nico Rosberg had a similar problem, but he was able to figure his out a lot quicker because this happened during the race. And we, I, I have to give a shout out to um, Christine Blatchford from uh, Side Podcast, good friends of ours. I mean, I had a good joke with her about it. Like, 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 he, like Lewis Hamilton would be the world's worst Crystal Maze contestant. Like, <laughs> he'd, be the, he'd be the guy you, you begrudgingly buy out at the end of the game when you know you're not going to win anyway. It's like, sorry, you might as well finish as a team. All right, buy him out, even though he fell into the stupidest automatic locking game you'll ever see. <laughs> no, but it's like, <laughs> like, like people like there are, there are a lot of things that Lewis has over Nico in terms of you know just raw ability. But when it becomes when it goes down to technical knowledge and pure intelligence, Rosberg almost wins all the time. Like it goes back to what the 2014 Canadian Grand Prix where mm. both of them had break by wire issues, and which one of the drivers is able to still finish the race anyway? Nico. Yep, very much so. It's little things like that which can make all the difference. So, uh, yeah, props to Nico for figuring that one out. And Lewis had to limp home in fifth place. And further up the field, King, it was a very curious weekend for Sergio Perez, who, amazingly, just two rounds ago, had his sixth career podium at Monaco, and now he's gotten another one at Baku. (laughs) Yeah, it seems... It seems things are going well at, at Force India, which is something like you, you never what do you think third place team in F1 get don't think Force India. No, Force India has been the perennial midfielder for as long as we know. And th- what's funny about this one is that normally when Force India and specifically Sergio Perez, because Hulkenberg's never had a career podium yet, poor guy. Um, but Sergio has, you know, he's had seven career podiums now. And I think this is this was his one, two, three. I want to say fourth. Yeah, fourth with Force India. And the second and three rounds. King, this one looked like it was like the most deserving podium out there where Force India had legitimate speed round here. <laughs> yeah, because let's see. Uh, the Red Bulls weren't that quick, but they also plagued by bad strategy. Uh, Williams was... Uh, they were quick, but they were not as quick as Force India. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, Force India was legitimately faster than Williams this time around, and all of a sudden, uh, Perez has got a podium on the track, legitimately, on merit, and he didn't have to butcher his tyres in order to do it. I, I was like, what? What's going on here? <laughs> yep, he earned it, uh, beating Kimi Raikkonen, who finished in fourth after the five-second time penalty, which ultimately didn't matter because Perez passed him on track during the final lap of the race anyway into turn one. So props to Sergio where that's concerned. King, if you're Daniel Ricciardo, how much do you want to tear your hair out right now? Um, 
I don't know. I, I'd probably, you know, uh, kill Max Verstappen in his sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I like how, how, how slowly you just drop that one in there. It's like, oh, you know, I might just, you know, dance around a bit. Might, you know, you know, chill out and do some funny Instagram videos. No, I'd rather just kill Max Verstappen. Kill him. Kill him to death. <laughs> because the quote from Max Verstappen after the race, where where Max Verstappen said, oh, when he put on the mediums, it felt like he was flying. <laughs> and Daniel Ricciardo fell down the field like a stone and I think eventually finished, I think, in seventh place um, when, when he started on the front row of the grid after that sensational yes. qualifying summary. He... He and Sebastian Vettel did the exact same time over the line, but Ricardo was given the place, obviously, because the rules in Formula 1, if, 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 if times are tied, first lap gets it, basically. So, um, do you, you hear Vettel's reaction to that <laughs> on the team no, radio? No, no. He, he was told um, Ricardo ahead of you did the exact same time to the thousandth and he was like, oh, come on, you've got to be joking. <laughs> <laughs> Vettel was He doesn't want to win. He doesn't want to win via technicality. <laughs> he went for the I'm going to win drunk method. Um, so, yeah, like Ricardo, who, you know, started from the front row, put on the mediums, was not fast, limped home in seventh. Well, Verstappen was absolutely flying on said mediums, apparently. So that's a thing. Um, so Christian Horner, uh, you got to wonder the strategy department in that Red Bull team. What is what is going on here? It's just not seemingly working for him right now. Because the tried to see Canada it didn't work. It really worked either there, did it? Yeah, Red Bull. Red Bull is the new Williams. <laughs> Red Bull is the, that, that. How terrible does that sound? Ah, <laughs> 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 oh dear, they're the new Williams. That was you need a new brand of mediocrity. But hey, at least that pit stops are still really fast. I mean, did you see the one for, for their district just Grand Prix King? A 1.92 second stop. Yeah, that is insanely quick. That is... Some people have slower reaction times than that. Like, seriously, it would take me longer to read out the sentence. Than, than it would take for Williams to finish. Like, like I know their pit crew, they've been training really hard over the off-season and working people to increase this, but they've won the DHL Fastest Pit Stop Award every Grand Prix, and this was a 1.92 seconds. I think that might be the fastest pit stop in the history of the sport. I know I know Red Bull did a 1.9 at Austin um, back in 2013 with Mark Webber, but I don't know what the second decimal point there was on that one, but 1.92, holy crap, an incredible job. Yeah, by the Williams. Might as well just name it the DHL Claire Williams Award now. Hey, she's getting all the awards now, man. First the OBE, this. <laughs> what a girl! Um, but uh, all that king. I mean, the, what did you make of the circuit in general? Because it, obviously, it's one thing seeing it lay out and seeing it on on boards, seeing an actual race go around. Because I mean. Everybody thought the race was a stinker, and let's be real here, it was. It, it was a very boring Grand Prix, you know, no real incidents to really speak of. But um, what did you make of the circuit in general, King? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I said it earlier where I think Baku is, like, a much more faster version of Macau, where you have, you know, uh, a very, you know, tight, slow, sort of complex section and, like, a very, very long straight. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's like Macau, except with that goddamn hairpin. But with Baku, it's definitely a much different 
location than Macau, where you have like beautiful modern architecture and you have these like classic apartment, classical style apartment buildings. And it it turns out to be it's it's not a fantastic street circuit, but it's it's not a terrible one. I'd say, you know, it's, you know, very average. Reminds me a lot of Valencia. There's certain things on there I like. There's certain things I don't really like. Things I would rather have different. But on the whole, I quite liked it. If there's one thing I was, if there's one immediate change I would like, either add a second detection point after turn one, or only have the one DRS zone because. I didn't like the fact that if you made an overtake into turn one, you'd get a double dip of DRS and you'd be able to clear your opposing car quicker by having DRS in the second zone towards turn three. I thought that was a little bit silly. Besides that, I'm fine with it. I like the, I like the high speed element of it. I think it's a very fast street circuit, which is always a plus. Um, so on the whole, I quite like it. Just one problem, King. It's in Azerbaijan. <laughs> Yes, yes. You can't overlook the fact that it's in Azerbaijan. You know, a country raided by Freedom House is not free. A country <laughs> that's the country that's had the same president since 2003 and the president before him was his father who was president since 1993. I sense a pattern here. <laughs> yes, and it's it's not a great pattern for Azerbaijan. <laughs> Yeah, so basically, it's a dictatorship. Is that it? Yes, yes, it's a dictatorship. Great. And uh, I know there was a lot of discussion amongst certain people on the internet saying that, uh, you know, human rights groups were actively campaigning against the Grand Prix here for obvious reasons. There is no democracy in the country. It is a dictatorship for all intents and purposes. And you know, the country's got crippling human rights concerns, where, that's, where that is. And... Uh, Let's be real here, King. We don't really want to get political on here because no one really likes talking politics. But it's it's a hard one to ignore here when we're in a ethical and political cesspool like Azerbaijan right now, isn't it? Yeah, where if you're there, you, it's pretty much going to be a talking point. Unless you're a journalist who's actually physically there, then you can't say anything because then you'll be arrested or what? basically sent home. Is this true? Oh yeah, like if I'm pretty sure if any of the F1 press openly said anything bad about the government, they would have been sent home. Wow, that's uh, that's that's dictatorship talk to me. Yeah. Um, we'll like it, it, it's the same thing when they're in Bahrain, like they're not allowed to talk about the, the civil protests. Or they would be sent home. Oh, see, uh, can you imagine that during 2013 or 2012? I should <laughs> say where it's like, oh yeah, this, these are just some some fans out here fighting, like 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 right by the circuit. Oh, don't worry about this <laughs> tank driving past. I mean, it's just it's there for it's, it's part of the display team. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds ridiculous to even suggest, but um. King, do you think this place has much of a future? Because this is going to keep coming up. And I, I, I fear it might go one of two ways, where the noise gets louder and louder regarding Baku, or we treat it in a very similar case to Bahrain, where we just kind of dust it under the carpet and forget about it. Uh, I think it's going to be a Bahrain-type situation, where the only complaints you'll hear about Azerbaijan will mainly be about the track itself, where like most fans either don't know or don't care. 
yeah, like a lot. There was a lot of complaints about the state of the track. That's one thing. We were ticked off more for the political nature of having a Grand Prix in the dictatorship. And Bahrain has been on the calendar now, on and off, since 2004 in multiple variations. But 2004, the first time we were there, that was only one year after Bahrain as a country gave women the right to vote. It's not. It's, it's not normally a good sign if your main civil rights movement is, like, 40 years after the Americans. Like, like, <laughs> like that, that, that's not a good look un, un, under, under any state of address or anything like that. It's, it's not a good look. And, yeah, like I said, that was a year after we only just given women the right to vote in Bahrain, which was, I think, 2003. So that's that says a lot about the state of Bahrain as a country where women were treated as second-class citizens until last year and until 2013 before they started rolling up around there and again that's not a good look either but uh yeah I'm inclined to agree with you King I I, I fear it's just going to be kept under the rug I think we all deep down know the issues in Azerbaijan and those who do know are willing to uh you know put it to one side for the sake of their precious entertainment where you know it's a bit like it's a bit like the top gear case where you know you get the impression that we all know clarkson was was a despicable human being is a a despicable human being he's done some awful awful things on, on and off tv over the last decade but we all knew top gear was so good we all kind of gave them a collective pass for it and i feel like it's kind of the same thing here with with our precious entertainment and uh, the nature of uh, politics in, in Formula One and whatnot, right? Yeah, and it's it's basically, this is what you get when you want F1 to be apolitical, because there's, in terms of merit on, you know, their desire to host a Grand Prix, there was no way to say no, because the circuit's up to standards, the, you know, paddock and hospitality's up to standards, they they paid their sanctioning fees to, to the FOM, everything checks out yep. like there's no there's no practical reason to say no to Azerbaijan on that side of things so if you did you'd have to say one thing and it would be a political issue and no one yeah. wants to have that conversation um, about about the nature of politics because then because then I'd be bringing up places like Bahrain and Abu Dhabi and then we're gonna have some problems um, or Russia or where Russia. it's like or like a lot of people say oh basically it boiled down to like I don't want F1 to go to Russia because I personally just don't like Russia where that makes like zero sense. It's, yeah, because you know, and and you know what, it it sucks, but we you have a lot of reasons to potentially dislike Russia, from <laughs> rage and homophobia to football hooliganism, but uh, there you go, them's the breaks. Um, like King, do you remember when Athletics had 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 a really awkward moment when you, when Yelena Simbaeva was was talking all political and whatnot? <laughs> yes, yes, that was. Oh, <laughs> That, that 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 didn't go down well. <laughs> like Russia's like most famous athlete basically condemning the idea of gay marriage. Uh, I just watched that until I was like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> yeah, like like the the only time that F one has refused to go to a country for political reasons is because they they themselves didn't refuse their you know national governments refuse where the british government basically had you know the the western sports boycott of of south africa during the apartheid ah yes that was a thing like late that's that's the only time that f1 couldn't go to a country for political reasons 
pretty big stance from South Africa to even do something like that back then. But yeah, very much the case. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this isn't the only place this happens. Azerbaijan, obviously, there's there's a lot of questionable governments out there that happens to have races on the F1 calendar. We said Russia, we said Bahrain, we said Abu Dhabi. Brazil could be another one very soon, given their state of things right now in the Olympics coming up yeah. in less than in less than a month's time where Rio's declaring a state of, of a state of financial emergency which is again not a good sign um so we could go deeper into this but you you get the gist it's just you know f1 seems to ignore these things and if you didn't want us to ignore them that opens up another potential big can of worms um and that's the nature of politics in motorsport hooray that bright and cheery subject as ever <laughs> king let's let's talk some top gear shall we and uh, i know people seem to like when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago but uh you have not seen this week's episode yet. I have. And did you see last week's by any chance? Because I have not seen that one, funnily enough. Ooh, I saw, like, bits and pieces. I didn't see the whole thing. What did you see? Oh, God. I probably just saw, like, literally, like, the opening segment. Then I decided, yeah, I'm not going to watch. <laughs> This is the state of play now, where we mentioned this two weeks ago, how the ratings were not looking good, and this one was the worst yet. I think it was 2.34 million viewers for Top Gear last night, which I think is the worst since the show came back in 2002. Um, less than, like, more or less, half its audience from the opening episode is now gone. That's, I mean, no matter how Chris Evans, no matter how much he wants to spin that media is being consumed differently and the overnight ratings don't matter, there is no easy way to worm your way out of a situation, King, where you can say, we lost half our audience in a month. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no, there's no, the audience is choosing to watch our show in new ways that covers up, yeah, we lost half our audience. Yeah, like, like, that's a fact. Uh, so tell me, why did 4.6 million people watch your first episode live and then in the space of a month, 2 million thought, sod it, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to watch this instead. I said it two weeks ago. Like, what consuming your media in other ways is a very nice way of saying they don't care about it enough to watch it live. And, you know, people, I, I, people argue with me saying, oh, well, Coronation Street, and, and you know, is, is not must-see television, even though that's on every day. And I'm like, people... The soaps are like the most watched consistent programs on on British television, apart from reality shows like The X Factor. I'm, so, I'm pretty sure like in the Western world, because yeah. soap operas are huge in the States too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they are. Um, not that I would know or anything, but I'm not like... like, I'm, like <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch CBS reality over here. Like I watch it for Judge Judy and that's it. Um, but... <laughs> God bless Judge Judy. But um, no, like, like soaps are the most consistent view, viewed television outside of the live sport like in the entire Western world. So it's, yeah, it can easily argue it's must-see television. And again, sure, I can, I can buy to a degree the concept of people watching an iPlayer later or watching it and recording it, obviously given the nature of how we consume media today. Sure, I can I can buy that there's but a yeah. under-mod audience to a degree. I play, like, I play, the amount of iPlayer viewers do not sway the BBC to say, yeah, we're going to fund this some more. <laughs> Yeah, like, that's... No. Top Gear was their biggest franchise. You need viewers. You need that money where, where that's concerned. iPlayer's not going to make you money, especially when it's free, for the most part. So, 
yeah, the iPlayer numbers are kind of irrelevant. And, like, this whole thing just screams to me that there's not enough people out there live that's willing to give a shit. Now, don't get me wrong. The last two weeks have been pretty bad because they've had to go up against... Euro 2016, uh, I know last night's episode played at the exact time as the Switzerland-France game on, 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 BB- oh no, it was, um, yeah, BBC One, um, it's, it's a neighbouring channel, so which, which obviously didn't help the situation at all, but, um, it's a shame because the Switzerland game was kind of a stinker, but, yeah, but in any case, yeah, King, I mean, it's a shame because I think the show's actually improved since, since we started. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely say from, from what I've heard of, people talking about the show it's definitely improved that they've they've seen what their strengths are and kind of started leaning that way yeah something i definitely noticed that there's been less chris evans which is definitely a plus because he's he cause again that that reduces the irritating factor chris harris has been phenomenal as a hire for this team his tdf segment on the uh, ferrari f12 was amazing his segment last night on the aston martin vulcan was one of the best on-track demonstrations I've ever seen in the 23 series of Top Gear we've had. I mean, Harris is just so frigging good. And Rory Reed is really good too. He was driving the new Tesla um, yesterday, and that was really a really impressive showcase. And, and Rory Reed is a great host in, in his own right. I think those are your two guys you should, you should be building your show around. Not so much Chris Evans, who is seemingly out of place, Sabine Schmitz, who's English isn't that great and it kind of you you notice it when you watch she thinks she's okay i think she's okay but she's not as good as the other two quite frankly i'm at leblanc (sighs) i'm on the fence on leblanc still like i think leblanc is good but i think like he like harris i think i'm sorry like like evans i think he tries a little bit too hard sometimes but yeah i I, there's this there's this air of the let's say the the new old top gear yeah they they had they they had this air of they didn't care yeah exactly and that and it seems like leblanc is trying to recreate that too hard where he's trying to not care so hard yeah, he's trying to say, I'm just going to be this guy. I'm just going to be the edgy American guy with the witty banter. I'm making Brexit jokes. Look at me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit much. And then you can tell when you do that, it comes across like a half-hearted version of the previous Top Gear. And you don't want to come across that way. For, at least that's how I perceive it anyway. Um, it's a shame because, like I said, like they, they have definitely found, I think, their strongest assets in Rory Reid and Chris Harris. Those two, especially in the case of Extra Gear, which is on BBC Three and obviously the iPlayer as well, is is very, very good. And I think that's the future of your franchise if you're going to take this any further, as opposed to Evans, who just seems to be out of place. Eddie Jordan, who seems to be a part-timer. And to be fair, Jordan was pretty good last night uh, as part of this, this segment where they're doing the race to Venice. Like, Eddie Jordan was good, if not his usual Eddie Jordan irritating self, <laughs> because that's because Eddie Jordan's like the drunken uncle of motorsport, basically. Um, but, yeah, I think that that's the impression I get anyway, King. I mean, I don't know how you feel about the show in general, but yeah, yeah like, free. Like, to be honest, if, like, in terms of quality, the show could be such high quality if, if like, it was just a trio if it was just uh if it was just harris reed and and smiths yeah. where it, the show would be good but it wouldn't be marketable because like 
the main, like the mainstream public, literally would not care. It's like, who are these guys? <laughs> like that was the problem when 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 they revealed the full lineup, they were like, who's this random black guy? Who's this other random black guy? And oh, it's that one from the Nurburgring. <laughs> 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 that's, that's what it was. So you know, it's. It, it, it's that's the problem. Like you have to have marketable names, and that's what I think they brought in Matt LeBlanc, Chris Evans, you know Eddie Jordan, etc. People that motorsport pundits know and whatnot. So I guess that's a plus. But hey, we'll see. We'll see what happens. There's two more episodes in this series, two more European clashes. So I'm, I don't think the ratings are going to get much better. But um, I mean, BBC are trying to play the positive spin on this, but there is no excuse for losing half your audience in the space of a month. That, that, that's the impression I get anyway. Moving on, King. We're going to talk some games on here for the first time in a while. And, um... Oh. Ooh, sassy, because we all, we, all, <laughs> we all know the game in background that we came from. But, um... They re- like, Co-Bosses was, the, was at E3, King. And uh, they they revealed it some F1 2016 gameplay. Um, we found out what these YouTubers were playing all this time. And, um... It doesn't look half bad, King. Yeah, and in terms of looks... It is, I would say, the like the most visually impressive Codemasters game I've ever seen. Yeah, it looked great. I mean, I, I, I like the little features they've put in, like the Delta times for trials, for time trials. I like the little things like the like the the time editor for for time trial mode. So you now you can drive around the track in different stages of sunlight. Like you like in the E3 footage you may have seen on YouTube, you can see. They're going around Canada as, as the sun is beginning to set. And as a guy, I've never seen Montreal like that before. So it was actually a really nice thing to see and drive around like that because you don't normally see that where the track is in those kinds of lighting states. And uh, the, the new HUD looked nice. I think the rev counter is a nice touch. Um, overall, I mean, we've not seen any any racing against the AI yet, which I think is going to be the very interesting aspect of it, King. But I think visually and from a presentation standpoint, I think it looked very good. Yes, very, very. It's it was definitely them starting off on their strongest foot, and I'd like to see you know the rest of the game after. Like I'm at, like at first I was very standoffish, like I didn't really care about the game. Now I'm you know bit leaning in, interested to see what else they have. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of warmed up to this now. I, like, I want to see what features they're going to have. I want to see how the game is fleshed out because the biggest problem, like, with 2015, the game was was very impressive visually. I loved the 60 frames per second gameplay. It was very smooth. I like the handling model. I think I think I, I enjoy playing the game in short bursts. I always have, and that was never the issue. The issue was the online was unplayable, and the features were non-existent. So, and that, yeah. that was the problem of 2015. It was it was not worth a package of 50 quid, not even close. So that's the issue I've got. But um, speaking of fleshed out content, I know King's been waiting for me to talk about this at length. I yes. got, I got Valentino Rossi the game on Thursday. I uh, pre-ordered it from shop to net and it came on Thursday after I got in from work. I didn't play it till Friday, but um, it is the latest incarnation from Milestone who make the MotoGP games as well as the Sebastian Loeb Rally games and every and other. And the World bike. Rally Championship games. Uh, yeah, and that. And, and the Ride franchise as well because Ride 2 is coming out in the autumn and the Ducati 90th anniversary game that came out two weeks prior. Yeah, Milestone have spread themselves really thin the last year and a half and it, it, it kind of shows to a degree and I know people have been asking me a lot like Dre what do you think of the game and whatnot 
note, there will be a full review on the Motorsport 101 YouTube channel in the next couple of weeks. I want, I want to play the game properly, get a proper feel of it before I, you know, put, put a review together and whatnot, write it up and all that. Um, I want to take my time with this, but early impressions... I think the game's pretty good. And obviously, this is a sequel to MotoGP 15, and I think 15 was a really good game. But it had the same milestone problems that their other games have had from a technical standpoint. Milestone are not a very good developer from a technical standpoint. Like, like they, the games are, are, are playing at 30 frames, and often you get drops when there's, when there's a lot of bikes on screen, which is not a good look. And graphically, they've never been that strong either. This, uh, maybe only in replay cameras do they, do they actually look good. Um, this time around, I I feel that the extra content is a bit hit and miss. And I don't know if you, you guys may have seen this, but you're basically in, initiated into the Valentino Rossi Riders Academy, which is like my idea of hell, quite frankly. But <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like welcome to hell. I mean, this game this game is obnoxious with the Rossi content. It really is Valentino Rossi the game. Like if. If, if if Rossi was ever manifested into a video game, this would be it. it like, it's unashamedly that way. Um, from the 46 on the loading screens to the 46 on, on the autosave screens to the Rossipedia to the to the ranch that's in the game with the flat tracks um, to the rally cars to, to the Mustangs that you can drift around Masano and whatnot. The game is littered with Rossi branding, and if you're not a Valentino Rossi fan like I am, it's going to irritate you a little bit. It it, like, it will. Um, like the thing is, King. Like there's not a lot that's new here. Like the extra bits of content are sketchy. Um, the drifting is awful. <laughs> I expected that. When I heard that there would be drifting in the game, I'm like, oh, this is not going to end well. The drifting is awful. The rally cars are not bad, but they're difficult to steer, which is kind of a problem in a rally stage. Yeah, um, that, that seems to be like what I noticed from the Sebastian Loeb rally game where, yeah, that was a big problem. The steering is clunky in the rally cars and that's not good. They're not very fun to, to, to drive. The R1Ms, the super bikes are really nice. Like they're, they're really nice to ride around. I'll give them that. The, the dirt bikes are okay. Um, I think they could be better. I, 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 feel, I think they're okay. Like once you get the hang of it, I, I don't think it's too bad. Um, like the game's handling model in general is different from last year. Like it's it's a bit more ruthless compared to last year. Where last year you can pretty much like it, it, it doesn't take long to get yourself up to speed in MotoGP 15. In this game, you like if you get your brake in wrong, you're going wide and you're losing two tenths of a second on that corner. Like like it's, <laughs> like you can't save it. If if you if you brake late, you've had it. It's ruthless in that regard. Um, you've got to be a lot more precise on your throttle control and you've got to be a lot more precise on things like braking and, you know, turning in because obviously bikes aren't redesigned to brake and steer at the same time. Um, that's a thing. Um, there's, there's now a level up system where riders have actually got individual stats this year, which is very interesting. Yeah, that that sounds nice. Yeah, like the, the, the bike, the, the riders are individually rated. Valentino Rossi has the highest rating because of course he fucking does. Um, 
Despite the fact he didn't win the championship last year. No, like he's better. <laughs> like in the game, he's better than Lorenzo, even though Lorenzo won seven races to Rossi's four last year. Which I think it's just hilarious. Like Marquez is like the number two guy in the game behind Lorenzo. Uh, Lorenzo's like third, and then they've got like I think I think Iadoni might be fourth. Like they 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 rate Iadoni really high in this game, and like they think Elish is way better than Maverick Vinales is, for example, which I think is interesting. Like the stat the stats are very intriguing, and also it, it's it's de- it seems like the stats are definitely leading to the fact that Milestone Games is based in Milan. You think? Um, <laughs> uh, but um. The thing is also that they're also continuous. Like the, the MotoGP riders tend to be rated in the 80s to 90s. Um, obviously, the really big guys are in either in the mid to high 90s for certain stats. Um, the Moto2 guys are all around the high 70s to, to like the mid 60s. So Johan Zarco would look out of place on a MotoGP bike, for example, because statistically he's not as good as, say, a Eugene Laverty or a Loris Bass, for instance. Uh, um, that's also a bit sketchy. Yeah, I'm not quite sure that works because, again, for example, if you go down to Moto3, the guys like Brad Binder and Romano Fanati are rated in the 60s, like, for everything. <laughs> Which is weird, but it also kind of makes sense because you have a custom rider and you could increase their stats the more you play the game as your custom okay. rider. So as you like you start in, you start with forty on everything, and as you build your way up, eventually you'll get to the top. But the thing is, having using a rider like mine, which has got like ratings of like forties or so, and then using a guy like Maverick on the Suzuki that's like that's rated like eighties, there's a massive difference. Like like the like the rider stats do make a big difference. So, which that that's great to hear. That's great to yeah, hear. Yeah, like like riding like for example for Suzuki, if you're riding as Maverick Vinales, it's much harder than riding as yourself because like or much easier should I say than riding as yourself because if you're riding as yourself, your stats are in the 40s and it's way harder to control the bike. And it makes sense if you're a rookie, you shouldn't be jumping on a MotoGP bike straight away. That makes sense. So I'm I'm okay with that. Um, so hey, that's a thing. Um, there's historic events of Valentino, which is basically just um, a, a version of real events from last year, but only you, you get video interviews with, with Rossi before every moment describing it, which, again, is, is nice. It's a nice little touch. You know? yeah. yeah, it's a shame that Rossi's talking in Italian and you get the subtitles, but Rossi's English has never been a bit uh, sketchy. He, he kind of talks like this, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, Marquez is a bit of a bastard. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Um, that, that impression is spot on. <laughs> I, I think I think it's I, I think it's time that uh, it was a good clean fight, and I think we, I think it's time to stop. Um, but basically, that's my that's my best Rossi impression. I, I think it's pretty good, actually, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. um, but thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Um, but for me, I think like I'll, I'll have my full thoughts, like I said, in a, in a review in the next couple of weeks. But for me. If you've liked the previous MotoGP games, you're probably going to like this. The biggest issues I've got is, again, the same technical gremlins with Milestone. Like, there's frame rate drops when multiple bikes are on track. There's frame rate drops during wet weather. Um, The loading times are really bad. Um, Like, you're talking, like, maybe 40 seconds for a race, which is just disappointing. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, the loading times are awful. Like, they... Like... Even when it says 100% on the loading screen, it'll still stop for another like 10 seconds before you actually can pick anything. So like the the loading team, the loading times are really bad on this game, and I have no idea why they're so terrible. And for me, 
given that we've been on the next console generation now for two years and Milestone's made three next-gen, like, MotoGP races as well as their other franchises and they're not making games for the 360 generation anymore. There's no excuse. The, the, the game should be in 60 frames by now. There, like, there's no excuse to still be playing at 30. I think that's, I think that's poor. The, 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 yeah, the, that's very poor. The, that's, the, that is still a thing, quite frankly. So, you know, if you can get over those technical gremlins that the, the, the milestone games just generally have across the board now, if you can get over that, then there's, there's, a, there's a fair bit to like it. If you're a Rossi fan, you've probably already bought this game because... <laughs> It is a love letter to Valentino, and it's 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 it, 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 the game has no shame hiding that. There's there's a couple of cool extra features, like, like I said, the Rossipedia is a nice touch. You get to see some of his older gear, like 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 the T-shirt he wore when he when he won his seventh world title with the, with the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs celebration, which was which was a good laugh. Um, custom liveries, custom helmets. Again, like I said, it's a love letter to Valentino, and. It's a shame they got rid of the team builder in career mode. I think that's a bit disappointing because I think they could, I think that, that mode had some potential if it was a little bit overpowered because even the easiest bikes you can still win races with really easily in last year's career mode. Um, but across the board, I think it's a pretty good game. Like I think it's I think it's decent. I, I mean, I paid thirty five quid for it instead of fifty, and at that price, I think it's I think it's about right. Um, I wouldn't say it's amazing. I think I actually still prefer last year's game to this one, personally, because I think the extra the extras are a bit hit and miss here and there. But I think overall, it's a pretty good game. So, uh, King, if you want to get it, feel free. Um, <laughs> oh, like I'm 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 leaning towards no now. Like I like. Yeah. I like the idea of like a showcase type mode, like because NBA 2K has done it, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. WWE 2K has done it. I, I like to see that in racing games because yeah, racing it's hard to get variety. So looking back to the past is the easiest way to get variety, and it's a great thing to see. While on the other end, hearing that the other extras like the rally is you know disappointing, and the other things are disappointing, it, it seems like I. I gonna hold out for next year's MotoGP game as long as it's not Valentino Rossi the game too. Oh god don't even go there um, but yeah I, I think that's fair I mean if you enjoyed 15 you're, you're probably not going to enjoy this one as much because it'll feel like a lot of the same old shit when you play this game because a lot of it is borrowed from 15 a lot of it is borrowed from their other series like like the World Rally games and which I think, you know, it's like a Frankenstein's monster of an overall video game. And, you know, there's there's good and bad that comes with that. But like I, if I had to give it a score out of 10, I'm thinking something like a seven right now. Like I think it's a good game. Okay. I, I just feel like it's not a great game. And I feel like MotoGP 15 was about as good as you could make a MotoGP game without really going the extra mile. And what stopped me from going higher on 15 was the technical problems with it, and they still exist. And if anything, I want to punish Milestone harder for thinking along those lines at the time, basically. So that that's kind of how I feel about the whole thing. Right. Um, if, if, if anyone's got any questions regarding the game, feel free to tweet me at Harrison101HD, of course. And you can follow King on Twitter as well, at RyanEricKing. That's with two Ks. Obviously, there'll be some more videos up on the YouTube channel soon. I've started making them more often now. You may have seen the Carlos Sainz one that, that went up over the weekend. That was me. I did that. <laughs> yeah. With, I'm prompted. Like, go me. Um, 
Honestly, I was kind of ticked off at Johnson for, 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 for not being here a couple of times. So, so I'm just going to make a video now. Sod it. That's <laughs> <laughs> a frustration out on this editing department. But um, hopefully there'll be more to come real soon. But um, until next time, from me and from Ryan, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Thanks, I'm not you are the world champion!